If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, continuing at our look through the, 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 this gospel. We'll, look at, we'll finish chapter 1 next week, then we'll take a, a brief break, actually a little bit longer break. We'll take a break for Christmas, to, um, a mini-series here leading up to Christmas, and then uh, at the beginning of the year, we're going to um, start another series as well. That'll be for January, and then we'll pick back up in Mark chapter 2 in February, Lord willing. Um, but Mark, if you have a Bible, we said is he's the, um, the first uh, gospel writer that we have in Scripture written about 30 years after the events that took place of Jesus' life. And as we said, we'll repeat this often as we see this, Mark's aim and goal is very plain and simple from the very first verse. The beginning, he says, it's like a headline for the book, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. And all he is doing is he's really fast-tracking. We get this word. You're going to see it again this morning. If you read chapter 1, he says immediately, like about 10 or 15 times, he's just getting himself to the cross. And so quickly he's going to get us there. He doesn't tell us the birth story like Matthew and Luke do. He jumps straight into his public ministry in Galilee. And so we've been looking at this and Mark is talking of the kingdom of God. And we looked last week at his message. When Jesus is first written words of Jesus that we have in the book of Mark, as Mark's writing this, this gospel before Matthew and Luke and John were written, Mark tells us as Jesus appears in Mark chapter 1, verse, um, verse 15, he says, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus' own words, and he says, here's the message of the kingdom. It's come. The kingdom is at hand. It's near. The king is come. The Messiah, the anointed one, the Holy One of heaven, Jesus Christ, the Lord and Redeemer of our souls is living among man. He's coming as the God-man. And as he comes, he's proclaiming his message of the kingdom. And he's calling people, all people, it's the call to this day to repent and believe the gospel. And then quickly, immediately, as Mark continues to tell us, immediately he goes and he meets and he comes across four men, Peter, James, uh, John, and Andrew, these two sets of brothers, and he calls them to follow him. And these men immediately leave their nets, leave their father in the boat, and they go and follow Jesus. And he calls them to join him in his mission. And now, as we come to our passage this morning, what all I want to look at this morning is the authority of this king. We've been singing about him earlier. We're singing about why we praise him. It's because he has all authority. And Mark is outlining that for us very easily. It's an easy outline. This was probably one of the easier outlines for me in studying this passage. It, just, it lays it out for you in seeing the authority of the king. But it made me think about the authorities that we see on earth. Um, this week, you might have heard that, uh, or maybe you could care less like some other people care, but uh, this week uh, I saw recently, I saw like this tweet yesterday, I shared it with a few of you in the room, um, but I saw this, um, the prince and princess of Wales uh, graced the Celtics basketball team with their presence at the game. So they were, they were at the game on Wednesday. And so the coach was interviewed after the game, and he was asked, and he says, hey, did, did you get to meet with the royal family? And the guy, this coach, I became a Celtics fan immediately, of course. Uh, 
I've grown up a Hornets fan, but that's never good ever. Um, so might as well switch to a better team. But, uh, and it seems like a good coach. But this coach, he's, he's asked this question, did you get to meet the royal family? And he looked with the straightest of face. If you can picture the straight face. And he says, what, were Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, Mary, and Joseph in the audience? And like with straight face though, like straight face. And he's like, that's the only royal family I know. And they all kind of chuckled and laughed. But when you really think about it, here's this royal family, if you will, these monarchs. But I even was reading, uh, you know, of course, naturally, I'm going to go to the BBC uh, to, to give us the description of what is the king's job these days. I don't know if you know what the king's job is these days, you know, after the queen has is, queen is passed away. Here's how the BBC described the king and his power. It says his powers are symbolic <laughs> and ceremonial, and he remains politically neutral he receives daily dispatches from the government in a red leather box. <laughs> like, what kind of king are you? You have no authority. Like, you have nothing. You're, you're, you get the mail in a red and nice leather box, and you have this huge staff, and you get pictures and have ornate ceremonies. But all you are is a figurehead. You're, you're, there is no authority that the king has. He can't tell people ultimately really what to do. He has no authority. He has no decision-making power. And when I look at this passage there is no other authority under heaven and on this earth that doesn't, does not come under the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. And here, the king has come, and he comes with full authority. And we're going to see this as we walk through this passage. We're going to see his authority in his teaching. We're going to see his authority over demonic powers, and we're going to see his authority over sickness and in his healing uh, ministry. And that's really all our outline is this morning, but I want us to walk through it and consider what this authority means, not just in this time and, and day, in, in the first century. But what does that mean for us? What does it mean that the king has come and that the king and his rule and his reign and his authority over all things, what does that mean for me? Well, how does that change this week that I'm about to go through? How does that change the perspective of my entire life? What, how do I fit in with this king and his authority? We're going to look at this passage and see and take a few principles with me. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to bring a Bible. Um, I love God's Word, and I want to encourage you to spend time in it. Let God's Word speak to you. I will say this often, but Jesus, as he prayed uh, for us and for his disciples, he said, sanctify them in your truth. Your Word is truth. This is how we're sanctified. We're sanctified not by good works and just attending a church service. We're sanctified by His Word. This is why I preach the Bible. I, I, wanna, I want God's Word to be in front of you. I want God's Word to speak into my heart. I want it to speak into your heart. And I pray that that is what happens this morning. That's what we've been praying. So if you have a Bible, Mark chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 20. One is where we'll pick up this morning. So Jesus, he's just called these disciples, and he takes these four disciples with, some, with them, and they went into Capernaum, it says in verse 21, and immediately, there's our word again, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. 
And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they, were, they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came, look at the heart of Jesus, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with, the ver- with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for the time that we've already had worshiping you. Father, forgive us for our uncleanliness. God, our hearts are tainted by sin. Our hearts are easily distracted. Our emotions can be drawn near to you sometimes and then quickly drawn to the things of this world. And so to this morning, I pray through even seeing the power of you, the Almighty God, and casting out demons, I pray that you would um, keep back the evil forces that can distract us uh, from hearing your word this morning. And I pray that you'll speak to us uh, through it and that your word would be made clear and that Christ would be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, what we see is when we're talking about the authority of this king, we see how he has, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, very simple. We see the authority of Jesus in his teaching. We see it even in his teaching. Look again at verse 21. So here they are. So just to give you a picture of what do you want this all means, you're like, okay, Capernaum. Capernaum is going to end up being like the hub of Jesus' public ministry around the Sea of Galilee near the North Shore. And immediately it tells us on the Sabbath. So again, you're like, all right, what is Sabbath and all this stuff? I've heard of Sabbath maybe, sort of. Not really sure. Sabbath. So Sabbath was a Saturday. It was Saturday for the Jewish people. They would gather, to get, they would take Sabbath very serious. They would observe, might have heard like uh, um, in the Ten Commandments, and then observing the Lord's Sabbath. And so here for them, they would keep that day holy as unto the Lord, as Jesus, as God had declared in the Old Testament. And so they would set aside this day as a special day where they would worship God, but they would stop doing certain things. They wouldn't work that day. They would, there was, they would not eat um, leavened bread. They would have unleavened bread only, and they would make sure everything was clean. They were purifying their hearts, and they were preparing for worship. And so There was the temple worship that would happen, but synagogues were all around. And so uh, if there were Jewish men at this time gathered together um, in a local area, they could meet at a synagogue. And what would naturally happen at a synagogue is that there would be someone, a rabbi or a scribe, someone who's like a teacher who would explain, I mean, a little bit like what we're doing here, like with, I, with what I'm doing this morning, explaining God's Word. And so they would stand up and they would maybe read some Scripture, sing a few songs or something, but they would read Scripture and then someone would come up and explain the Scriptures. 
And so here's what would happen. For instance, so you have this rabbi, and so they loved having rabbis come from out of town, and if they were in town, they would want them to share because they were like, hey, maybe he'll teach us something new. We'll hear something that we haven't maybe heard before. He'll give us a new uh, explanation on a certain doctrine or law or whatever. It's because they were experts in the law. And so sure enough, they would gather together, and so someone would come, and he would start explaining scriptures. They might read it, and he'd start teaching on it. And what they would often do is this. They would like to quote one another. So they would say something like this. They would say, uh, well, Rabbi Hillel or Rabbi Zacharias or whoever, they would name some rabbi. He has said such and such. He explains this and that, and he said this about this, and they would quote often one another, and they would quote each other explaining their laws because they had created all kinds of laws to protect. And I would even say argue in some ways in a good way, but what it would, but in a terrible way because they would supersede the law and make their laws, their rules and regulations on certain dietary things, they would take that and put it as superseding over God's law. And so these men, they come with their kind of authority, and they would come and they would be, and everyone would eat it up. They would hear, oh yeah, Hillel says this, or this person says that, and oh, that's good, that's good. And they would take in what they're saying. On this Sabbath Sunday, this Sabbath day, this Saturday, the Jews are gathered together in the synagogue. And look at it again. Look what happens. Jesus stands up. He entered the synagogue and was teaching. So Jesus stands up, he opens a scroll, we have another picture of him opening a scroll and reading, and he says this with such great authority when he reads it. He reads from the prophet Isaiah, and he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He was making a claim, because what they were hearing was only God. And he was making a claim to his title as not not just title, sorry, his, his essence, his deity as being fully God. And the people wanted to stone him immediately, kick him out of the town and kill him because he was claiming deity. When he stood up to speak, here he's teaching. Uh, If you look at all of Mark, Mark is going to use a lot of his teaching, but Matthew is going to spend much more time and detail on Jesus' teachings. But even in Mark, Mark is going to mention about 15 or 12 times. 12 times I think it's mentioned that he's a teacher. He's referred to as teacher. About 15 times Mark is giving us a picture of his teaching ministry. This is going to be a primary way that he communicates with the people and deals with the people. We can focus on his healing. We can focus on his casting of demons. But he came to preach the good news. He came to ultimately come to make a way for us to be saved through his life, his death, and his resurrection. But here in this moment, he stands to preach. And look at verse 22. The people, they were astonished. Phrase we might use today, they're blown away. Like, they're blown away by his teaching. They're like, who is this man? But I want to be careful here. The way that this Greek even reads and the way this reads, it's not like he's a great orator. Like, we can, we can be astonished at his ability to tell a story, right? We looked at an amazing story, one of the, that many writers have said is one of the greatest short stories ever written. We talked about it, the prodigal son. That was Jesus telling a story. And we can be amazed at his storytelling. But that wasn't why they were astonished. They weren't astonished like, man, that guy is really good. Like, I've never heard someone who's so funny or who's sharp and he can, like, pull you in with his teaching. No, they're not astonished. In this passage, they're not astonished at his ability to communicate. 
No, they're astonished because why? It says, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The scribes come, they say, hello, you know, Rabbi such and such says this. Let me tell you about it. They explain the things of God. Jesus tells them. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 begins the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching. It's the Beatitudes, the beginning. You might have heard of those. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. You get all these phrases. But if you're reading through um, Matthew, you can't help but notice. Start, let's just look at, we'll look at a few this morning. Look at verse 21, Matthew 5. He says this. Jesus is speaking. He's preaching on a mountain here right around the Sea of Galilee. He's preaching here. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So he's saying, you've heard from these prophets, I mean, these scribes, these rabbis who've taught, you've heard, but notice, this is a phrase you're going to see throughout this passage in Matthew. But, verse 22, and I want you to, I mean, next time you read through Matthew 5, underline that section, but I say to you. He says, Thus says the Lord is another phrase we would use. Or when Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you. He's saying, amen, amen. And this is all authority. Like there's, no, there's all that's needing to be said in the matter is being said when he speaks. There's no need for someone to, like he doesn't need to rely on someone else. He doesn't need to quote another rabbi. He doesn't need to quote another thing. When he says it, it's God speaking. He is described in John 1 as the Word became flesh. He is, he is the invisible God made visible. Jesus, we see God. He's the divine revelation of God in himself. And he says, I say to you. And notice, here's what they had said in verse 21. You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. What does Jesus say? He takes it further. He's always not coming over. He's not coming after actions. Don't miss this. We can easily do this in church. We can easily do it in preaching. Fix this. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Fix your behaviors. Try to fix your behaviors. Jesus doesn't fix behaviors. He transforms hearts. He comes straight for the heart. And notice what he says, even in this. It's not about an action of murder. It's more about the heart. And he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And he just takes it to another level. And he's coming after your heart, your anger and your hatred toward another person, which would lead you to murder. Look down at verse 27. He says, you have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. And that is true. He's quoting the law. You should not commit adultery. That comes from the Ten Commandments. But Jesus, when he speaks, he speaks with full authority, and he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He comes after heart transformation. It's not, it's not just about this obedience to like actions and doing these certain things. He comes straight after our hearts, and he says, you've heard this, but I say. Go down to verse 38. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
He takes it always to another level. But he's communicating, and what this is what Mark's doing, back in, if you go back to Mark 1, he's communicating the authority of Jesus that when he speaks, you need to obey and listen because he comes with full authority. But how can a person, how can a man have this kind of authority unless God gives it to him? You see, he can't. No mere man, mere mortal, can have this kind of authority. We're going to see later in Mark, he has the authority, and he says, I have authority to forgive sins. Who can forgive sins? Who can wipe the, 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 the sin debt clean? Only Jesus. Only God. These are all claims where Mark is trying to prove the point of here is Jesus. Jesus is unique. He's special. He's different. He's more than just a man. He's more than a carpenter. He is the God man. And we're going to see that explained through a demon in a second. But here he comes with full authority and he teaches as the king of the universe. Here's the question. I'm going to do this at the end, but I want to do it now too. Is what's our response to that? If he is really the king and he has full authority over my life, should I surrender to that? What does that call me to do? If he can say one thing in his word, is it now on me to respond and obey? I would answer arguably absolutely yes. And Mark is communicating. He says, here he comes with the authority of Jesus in his teaching. And notice how it continues. As he's teaching, light is invading the darkness. The light of the world. We sing about this at Christmas. The light of the world has come. And look at verse 23. He's teaching. They're astonished because he comes with such authority. In verse 23, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. This is a demonic Um, uh, this is a demon, this is a demonic spirit. And this demon, this unclean spirit, as it's described here, is inside of this man, and, and, and here he is, he is um, he's come, and he's come inside of this, taken inside of this person, and this person has come into the synagogue this day. And he's there, and I can't help when I was reading this story, is, is to think of this. That man with an unclean spirit, a demonic force indwelling him, would sit in the synagogue and not feel uncomfortable. Have you thought about that? Well, how could a demon come and hang out inside of a person who's sitting in a church gathering or a gathering of the Jews in the synagogue for worship and listening to God's word? Would it not be repulsed by that and want to run away? I would argue, this isn't explained necessarily in the text, this is coming from a little more of me, so take it for what it's worth. I would argue here he is, this, this man comes in, and maybe this man has come multiple times. Maybe this is the first time, so we don't, I, that's what I mean by I don't know. Not, I would tell you when I say something for fact from Scripture. This is one of those I don't know moments. Maybe this person has come countless times with a demon inside of him, and he could sit in that fake ritual worship. Because I would argue a demon can come and hang out there and he hang out there and it'd be fine because it's phony, it's fake, it's not real. But when the light came, when truth came, when Jesus appeared, this demonic power is like, I can't take it. 
when truth, when authentic, when authentic truth came, when Jesus, the Son of God, comes and is coming on earth, and he stands up and he starts talking, look at this demon's response, this unclean spirit. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. He couldn't help it. He's like, no, 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 he wants to distract. He wanted to take away from what Jesus was saying. He wanted to stop it because he didn't want them to see the truth. They didn't, he didn't want them to hear the truth. And so this demon shouts out in the middle of this gathering, in the middle of Jesus' teaching. And he shouts, and what does he say? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? This was a call of, this was not just a phrase of like wondering, what are you doing? This was a confrontation. This demonic force is confronting with the truth of Jesus, and he's confronting him in this way and saying, what are you doing here? Why are you, why are you doing this? And he's confronting him, and here's what he says. He calls him, and he calls him by his earthly name. He says, Jesus of Nazareth. He recognizes his humanity here in his phrase. He's like, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He even uses the plural form. It could mean, because we see this elsewhere, where multiple demonic powers are indwelling a person, um, and, and, and Jesus cast out many demons from this one man, and they go actually they're exiled from mankind, and they go and invade a a herd of pigs, and those pigs go off the cliff uh, and die. But there was a multiple. Could be there was multiple in this man. Maybe what he could also be referring to is maybe there was other demonic forces all hanging around this synagogue and around uh, this time of Christ. As he, or he's just referring to all of satanic powers and forces. Saying, what do you have with us? Because this is what Jesus came. He came to defeat the forces of Satan. He comes to defeat death and sin and its stronghold on mankind. He comes and he's coming with the confrontation. And this demon senses it and responds in this way. But notice what Jesus and how it continues. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? This demon, a couple things I want to note here. This demon knows who Jesus is. He knows his identity. He knows this Jesus is not just a man. We see that when he says the Holy One in verse 24, the Holy One of God. So he's now already, this demon has already given us the picture of, of Christ. Fully man, Jesus of Nazareth. Holy One of God, God himself. He's the God-man. That's Emmanuel, God with us, him coming to earth. This is what happens in the incarnation, this time of year that we celebrate at Christmas. And here he's like, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, demonic forces, they know who Jesus is. They recognize his authority. And if he says to stop, which is what he does in this passage, he, he rebukes him saying, be silent. It's as if he's saying, Shut your mouth in this moment, in this synagogue teaching. He rebukes him saying, be silent. And then he calls the demon to come out of this man. It's not like, let's, let's all gather together. Let's gather around. Let's get some candles lighting up. Let's light some candles. Let's, let's hold our hands together and let's pray this long, really wordy prayer and hope that, that this demon will come. And we put all these little fancy rituals. No, Jesus speaks and he says, come out. And what's that demon going to do? Demon's not going to be like, uh-uh. 
like your kid might do every once in a while to you. <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to do that. And what do you do? And you're like, <laughs> stomp the foot, express your authority. Jesus doesn't have to do any of that. He can just say, stop. That's, that, that demon goes mute. And he can say, come out. And that demon immediately has to come out. Because Jesus has all authority. And if this man, Jesus, has the power to say, you come out, he's not just a man. He must be the God-man. He must be the Lord, the King, the Son of God. And here, Mark is expressing that through this story and showing us that Jesus has all authority over demonic forces. And this, this, um, this demon, as he's crying out, it says this in verse 26, and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out like this shriek with a loud voice came out of him. And the people gathered, can you imagine, you're at that, you're at the, you just came this day, you're a random guy, you walked into a synagogue, you're like, all right, let's listen to Rabbi such and such, tell us a little bit about Bible, maybe you're going to get a nap, maybe you're not, I don't know, you, got, you come in and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden Jesus stands up and you're like, this guy's different, he's speaking with authority, and then this other guy in the back, you know him, you're like, oh yeah, Brandon, I remember him, you know, or, and all of a sudden this person, he says, oh wait, yeah, you, and then all of a sudden he calls out this demon, and then what happens? The people are astonished, and they look and they say, look, who, who is this man? And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? <laughs> they're astonished so much that they're like, what is going on? just thought I said Brandon, and it's not a you, Brandon. <laughs> I have my best friend's name's Brandon, and his is the first one that went in my head. And I'm like, Brandon, I, that I know of, does not have a demon going on in there. It needs to be cast out. Let me just pause there. And it was like, wait, there's a Brandon in here. Oh, man. <laughs> I was thinking of my friend <laughs> that's also not the demon possessed. <laughs> so yeah, but notice what they say. He says, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits. And notice the next phrase, and they obey him. And at once, naturally, right? At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. But I want you to see this, his power over spiritual darkness. He has all authority. His authority, when he speaks, people need to listen. When he calls something to do something, they have to respond. But I want you to think about this. I was thinking about this this week as well as I was pondering and, and, and meditating on this passage. How many of us as humans do not obey the voice of God? Here the demons, when, they, when they're told something to do, they do it because they have to. Here us as humans with our freedoms and our ability to live our life, he speaks and we're like, yeah. We read our Bible and you're like, oh man, I probably should stop doing such and such or man, I really should focus more. I probably should prioritize my life a little differently. And we don't. We don't listen. We don't obey. Here's the authority of heaven. The king of the universe has come. He's coming in his kingdom, and he brings with authority over demonic forces. And the demon has no power over Jesus' presence. And so Mark continues on. He says, immediately, verse 29, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. 
And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. I don't know if you guys have ever had a, a fever, but you think about, like, I mean, how much Advil, aspirin, how many lives aspirin has probably saved over the, I don't know how many years it's been out or whatever, but, <laughs> but I mean, I think of in this day, they don't have these modern medicines and different things, and so a simple fever could, could kill someone. I remember just about the beginning of November, my family somehow finally that caught up to us, COVID, <laughs> and uh, uh, my wife tested positive, so that's when we all kind of shut down, and so David thankfully stepped in and, and spoke for me that, that Sunday, um, but I remember I was, I was like, man, this is ridiculous, this, this COVID thing, you know. I mean, I've known people who've, who've passed away and, and, and had complications and all those kind of things. But, but in that moment, I'm going like, man, this thing, I'm like, this isn't even a cold. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And then all of a sudden, one day, like, this fever came on me. I was like, all right, I think I'm still good. Like, I'm, I'm totally fine. And all of a sudden, this fever comes on. And I'm like, I'm one of those people. I, I'm good with ibuprofen. I played baseball, and I needed ibuprofen to just get through games because my arm would start hurting and stuff. And so, um, no, your pastor's not addicted to, <laughs> to painkillers. Um, uh, but this day, I have this, um, this fever, and it comes on, and it just starts, I'm like, I'm like maybe this will kill it. You know, it's like a God-given thing. It gives you a fever to kill the disease. Like, so I'm like, I'm going to ride this thing. So I'm like shivering <laughs> under the, the covers, just freezing. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And then all of a sudden, my head started like ringing. It was like my ears are ringing. I'm like, all right, I don't think I can hear as well anymore. Maybe you should take some Advil. And so finally, I gave in, took the Advil, and, and, and felt well. But see, I needed medicine or uh, I needed a, my body to run its course with a disease. Or maybe you've experienced a disease or you have a loved one who's experienced a disease that took their life. Here, Jesus comes and when Jesus, at His presence and at His voice and at His word, He has authority over disease as well. The authority of Jesus over disease. Look at this. He says, um, now, uh, Simon's mother, verse 30-in-law, lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. But I, I don't want to just stop there, because I think we can be focused on the healing. But I want you to notice this is the next phrase. And she began to serve them. Her response to her healing led her to serve others. Her response to Jesus' authority over disease, and what we're going to see is quickly words getting out, is fame spreading, right? And so what we see is that evening in verse 32, at sundown, they brought to him also like Sabbath, kind of the broken Sabbath now at the end of the, the evening. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and opp or oppressed by demons. A couple notes here. One is this, and I want you to see this right here. Jesus is not, we don't, connect, Jesus distinguishes between sickness and demonic powers. It's not just like, a, okay, if you're, you have, you have demonic oppression when you've got a common cold. I mean, I know that might sound ridiculous to some of us, but others, it's not, so, it's not so uncommon to think these things, that everything, and we can put all of everything on demonic forces, having control over the things and the difficulties that we face. Not always is it demonic forces. It's just the brokenness of our world that sin that is infiltrated all the aspects of it. If you want to understand that more, look at Genesis 3 and the fall and its effect that spread like an infection over all. That's why all people die because of sin. Sin has led us to age and 
Some of us age better than others, and we age, and, but eventually, right, even Tom Brady one day will die <laughs> and not be able to play football. You know, all people, we slowly deteriorate. We get worse. So here's the thing. Even if Jesus does heal you, even if your disease is healed, even if you pray today and you're asking God, God, will you heal my friend of this infirmity, this disease? And sure enough, God does heal. But guess what? It's temporary. It's not complete healing. It's only going to be temporary because what? Guess what happens? Maybe another disease happens. Or maybe you get to live another 50 years and you get to 90, but eventually, some point, 100, 110, or whatever you're wanting to live to, I don't know, but eventually we all die. That is a byproduct. Jesus did not come, and I want you to see this. We're going to see a lot of his healing. Jesus didn't come to just make your life better and to heal all your diseases and make you feel well and be good and healthy and have a great and and fulfilling life. No, he came, and this was a part of his ministry because he loves people. He just loves them. He looked at the crowd and he saw the brokenness and he looks and he sees people, these children limping who can't walk or this person who can't see, this person who can't hear and his heart's broken over these people and so he touches them. He heals them. He takes a a fever and he gives them, makes them well because he just loves people. He's good. He cares. But ultimately, all of that was showing his authority over all things. He is not just a man. He is God. And he has authority over sickness. He has authority over demonic powers. He has authority when he speaks and when he teaches. One of my uh, favorite books uh, outside of Scripture is, uh, and one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. And um, if you don't like reading books, you probably have seen the, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in Lion and the Wits and the Wardrobe, we think, when I think of Jesus, I love what I see in this story and in this part of the, the, part of the story. So, so here, you know, Mr. Beaver, if you remember, Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, and so if you've ever not paid attention to this, I'd love for you to go watch it again. Aslan, in, 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 um, in the Chronicles of Narnia, so the big collection of it, not beyond, way beyond uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan is this picture of God, is this lion, and actually he comes, and if you remember, if you've, whether you've seen the movie or read the books, he dies, but then he comes back to life. Again, a picture of Jesus, and he comes back, and he comes, and he defeats this army and wins this decisive battle, but what's neat to see is how C.S. Lewis, the author, writes in a way to help you see some pictures and get some symbolism and, and see Christ in the story. And here's this one example where Susan, uh, with Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the, who's the ruler of all of Narnia, he comes, you know, it's, it's cold and barren and dark, and here he's coming, and they keep talking about his coming. And so as, as Aslan comes, it says that Susan is surprised since she assumed Aslan was a man. She thought he was going to be a man. And then she then tells Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, <laughs> right? Like, have you seen that video of the kid at the glass window and the lion's about to just destroy that kid in front of uh, the, I mean, like a lion is not to just be petted, <laughs> right? It has a, a primary job, sleep and, <laughs> and then eat. Um, and so she says, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. She asked Mr. Beaver if Aslan is safe. Is Aslan safe? Is this lion safe, right? Is he tame? To which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. But he is good. He's the king. 
I think we've become too comfortable with Jesus. I think, oh, he's, we talk a lot of his goodness, which he is. I want you to see it. That's what we see even in his healing. He is so good and he's so loving and he's so caring. But he's also God. He's the, as the demon proclaims, he's the holy one. The holiness of God is why Jesus came. Because he is holy, sin has to be punished. And they all were looking for this king warrior to come and free them from the curse, not of sin necessarily, but the curse of being oppressed by uh, these ruling parties in the Roman Empire. And they long for him. But Jesus comes as a servant. He's the suffering servant, and the suffering servant comes, and he heals people, and he continues to heal people, and he continues to cast out demons, all the while proclaiming, repent and believe the good news. You see, what is this good news? The good news is that Jesus should be terrorizing in a sense of his authority his power, his righteousness, and it should reveal our very much brokenness and unrighteousness. And as we see ourselves and our brokenness and unrighteousness, we can now clearly see the cross because the cross, it gives us the picture of God's love, but it doesn't just give us a picture of God's love. It gives us a picture of his holiness and his wrath because Jesus is on that cross and not you, but Jesus is on the cross, bloodied, beaten, bruised, destroyed as a human being and dying and dead on a cross. That's the punishment. That's the wrath of God on sinful people because he himself bore the wrath of God on himself. He took on himself in the flesh, in the body, sinful man so that he could pay the penalty so that we didn't have to. And he comes with all authority. And if he comes to die in your place, do you think he deserves our absolute complete, without condition, surrender. He does. He deserves every ounce of your life, your job, your marriage, your children, your raising of children, your grandparenting. He deserves all of it because he is, has all authority over heaven and on earth. Your life, my life. Here's the thing. You can either bow the knee to this king in this life. Today, I wouldn't wait to tomorrow. If you have already in the past, great. You can either bow the knee in complete surrender to this king in this life or you'll be forced to for all eternity in a place called hell. You'll bow down to him because you'll understand who he actually was. If you don't understand this life, you will for all eternity without any second chance. Here's this one that Mark's declaring and he's saying, here he is. The king has come, and he comes not just, yes, he comes lowly, and he comes as a servant. He doesn't come in this grandeur that we see at the prince and princess of Wales with lacking of any authority. No, he comes full of authority, but he comes humbly. He doesn't come in the way that we thought. He didn't come as this nice kingly thing with this nice crown. Actually, he ends up with a crown of thorns. He came in a different way, but he comes still with full authority. The demons tremble at his voice. Do we? Here's a demon who knows his authority, has to obey it, but doesn't want to worship him, will not worship him. Because if you don't know this, demonic powers, if you're like, what is a demon? Demons were really a third of the angels. They were fallen angels 
uh, angels who rebelled against God and were cast and cursed out of heaven, out of his presence. Satan being the, the main one. And there's a place of doom for them. That's why he said, have you come to destroy us now? They know they're going to be destroyed. And they're going to try to bring out as many people as possible. Here's the great news. They cannot indwell believers. That doesn't mix. The Holy Spirit and a demonic force is not going to mix. But can they oppress Christians? Absolutely. They cannot indwell. Only unbelievers, only non-followers of Christ. And Jesus comes with all authority and he says, come out. That demon has to come out. He comes to your life and he says, will you surrender? The thing is, kind of like C.S. Lewis and, the, and um, Susan, he isn't safe because <laughs> he's powerful. He's like a lion. He's roaring. We started our, our service this morning. He's roaring like a lion. He he's roars. The idea of his roar, but he's also good because he takes our place. That's who Mark is trying to get at as he opens this book, showing us who Jesus is. Let me pray. Father, thank you again um, for your word. We thank you for the authority that it brings. I don't have authority. God, I I feel super humbled, um, non-deserving to even communicate your word. Father, forgive me if I've been at all distracted away from clearly us seeing Christ. I pray that he would be honored and glorified, that we would surrender our hearts and our lives to you. I thank you that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May that lead us to changed, different lives, that it would leave us to complete surrender. Uh, God, we need your help, though. We need your help As we go into another week, we're going to be faced with temptations and maybe demonic forces. Who knows what's at stake? But I I, I think of even our church, Redeemer Community Church, and I pray that if there is opposition, that's a good thing because, God, you're at work and where you are, God, where you're working through your people, Satan doesn't want it to work. Just as you showed up in that synagogue that day, he didn't want that to happen. And so he had to say something. He had to shout and try to be a distraction. I pray. God, that you would help us to wade through the distractions, wade through the, the, the evil forces that will try to destroy uh, each of us, that will try to bring us down, to distract us to the things of this world. I pray that you'll open our eyes clearly to see you, and that would lead us to complete surrender to our Lord and King. Thank you for these truths as Mark is giving us here in this opening chapter. I pray that it would change us and lead us to complete surrender to you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.